Well, good morning. Isn't it beautiful out there today? Happy June. Happy June, that's right. Summer is here. Happy summer. If anybody has uh, checked, seen on the bulletin there the, uh, the text that we're in, uh, you know that we do expository verse by verse, and we just go by that. Don't skip it. <laughs> we're not going to skip it. <laughs> Actually, it is so timely for what has happened around here recently that it's fascinating that it uh, is put in that place as we experience some of the things that have gone on in uh, this city. You know, I've been thinking about it. Life in this world is a, it's a dangerous thing. Uh, there are dangers all around. You know, whether it be from uh, just natural disasters or shootings, one after another. We can think of just hundreds of things. And, you know, we're just a little over a week, you know, removed from the violent tornado that hit our city that just devastated many, many families. And, of course, it displaced them. You might know of some people that, you know, they don't have a home or they've been fortunate enough, blessed enough to have a place to move in. Um, I know this thing will be etched upon our memories for the rest of our lives. All the pictures that you've seen, probably most of you have seen some of the damage, you know, firsthand. Uh, seen all those pictures, and of course, whether it be just local news, statewide news, St. Louis, Kansas City, or all over the United States, have been showing those pictures. And, uh, you know, they're, it's just one of those things that uh, there are certain things in our minds that will always be with us. And that will be one thing. Um, we live in a society unlike any society ever before us, this generation that we live in, because what's so unique from the past is now because of our electronic media that we have, it's just a world of mass communication. We get communication from everywhere. And it's almost sometimes we can get overexposed with all the visual images and enhancements that they have. I mean, we see everything. We can see almost anything and hear of anything that is going on in our world today. You know, we're not isolated from anything that happens that's catastrophic or newsworthy. I mean, every catastrophe, every calamity, every cataclysm, disaster that comes... To the world it happens, and it's constantly, it's every day those things happen, right? We just hear about tragedy after a tragedy, and it comes to us through, you know, the media. And we experience that, I think, vicariously, all the the pain, sorrow, the suffering, and and death that happens. Nobody likes to hear about those kind of things. You know, of course, you can think of all the things that are shown on the news, the images of war and just the mass shootings. And we just had one again the other day. I think it was in Virginia, wasn't it? Virginia Beach. You know, you hear of it. I mean, it's becoming commonplace. And, you know, you think of all the things that are going on that just, just we can't escape this information. If you have anything on at all, whether it be internet or TV or radio or just people talking, you can't miss it. And so, again and again, it's over the uh, nightly news. And uh, we live in a particular era of human history that we experience 
these things. I mean, as we hear about it, um, if we take it back, you know, a hundred years or not even that far, we basically lived in a little world. And whatever happened around us, there'd be catastrophes. Of course, those are going to happen. You're going to hear about those or be a part of it. But that was basically the kind of world that we were in. It was a little world. He didn't hear too much about the things that were going on in the rest of the world and our hemisphere and wherever. Um, but now it's like we share in those disasters. I think it affects us emotionally in a lot of ways. Or we just become kind of hardened to it that it doesn't even phase us anymore. We're not even shocked by things that happen. And so, whether we like it or not, the weight of the tragedies kind of come upon our shoulders. And, you know, emotionally, I think the ties are are there. The tragedy of the globe becomes something that we have to process in our worn-out minds sometimes. It, It goes on and on and on. Real disasters. And then put on top of these real disasters that happen constantly are the ones that are made up. you know. And of course we see them on the screen. Um, whether it be, uh, you know, of course, movies and just TV shows, it goes on and on. Constant killing and things that just are out of the ordinary. And that affects people emotionally. So in generations past, they've never experienced what we experience. Like it or not. You know, there's a lot of great things about our media that we have that we really wouldn't want to give up. At the same time, there's a lot of things there that actually hurt people. Hurts them emotionally. And of course, you know, there's just images of chilling death endlessly. And it makes us think that maybe there are more calamities in the world now than ever in the history of the world. But are there more calamities that are going on than have been before? Well, certainly it's true that we have more technological opportunities to kill. You know, the power that is there, of course, you know, one country could pretty well destroy another country. Take it down in a moment's time. You know the capabilities of that. But somehow, seems to hold off, doesn't it? We have uh, this great p- killing power uh, all across the world. But, you know, the calamities are probably no worse than they have been or more frequent. Although sor- certain things are held back that we have. But natural disasters, actually, they've always been here. Um, Today, they do more damage in primitive countries than they would do in uh, countries like ours. You know, third world countries uh, may suffer for years and years or never ever get certain things back that they had. Whereas here, we have safeguards. Those kind of safeguards and construction construction permits and they're checked out to make sure that they're safe and protection that we have that wasn't around before or maybe that was really even needed but at one time there would be plagues 
that would wipe out a group of people, would wipe out almost half the world. Of course, Europe had the, I think, the uh, bubonic plague, and of course, a lot of those that just killed out tribes. You hear of stories like that way back in history, and there's always been calamity. So it's very easy for me to say, and last week I did say it, that, and I think it is appropriate to think whenever we have something of the catastrophe that we did here in this town that we live in, that maybe it could be a warning to people. And I still say that. Uh, It is truly amazing how God has power over weather. He controls it. He can keep those things from happening. But He lets them happen. But then think about it. There was only so many people that went to the hospital. I heard something like 20 got injured. There were no deaths. And then you look at those pictures or you see it for yourself and you go, there is no way that anybody could have been in that house and lived through it. You see, some places were just demolished. And you, and then you know, God had His hand in this, didn't He? All the way. And so, you know, you, you, you think about that and you say, God is a powerful God. And He is in control. So it would be very easy for me to say that the end time is near. And I could read the newspaper and hear the news and say, okay, right here, right now, it can happen any time. And I do believe that. <laughs> I like the thought that Christ could come back at any moment. But what happens if it goes on for another 100 years? 200 years? We wouldn't even be around here when that happens. I keep thinking it's going to happen in our lifetime. And I'm not going to take that back because I think every Christian down through the history of the church should have that kind of view because he says be ready, be expectant, right? So that's good in that way. And then also to kind of read it in a sense that this uh, is something because, you know, there are a lot of things happening in our world, even besides the tornadoes. You know, we have floods here now that we're battling. We have streets that we're cut off from. It's not natural to be able to just drive around now, you know, like we used to, and just think that uh, that street's going to be easy to drive through. It may be flooded. And of course, I was just talking with Tony, how it affected his work, where they were at, and they can't even get to the material that they need to put it on the road. The road is not flooded, but to get there and where the stuff is at, you can't. So everybody's schedules are changing all over the city and in the state. And boy, what an effect it makes. Tornadoes, floods. We're in the world news. Jeff City, Missouri, of all places, right? And, you know, the crops that have been destroyed, how that's going to make an effect. Homes of hundreds of people. It goes on and on. Quite the effect. It really is. And so, you know, you think of Missouri, you think of the floods that have been constant for months, uh, seems like months now, up in northwest Missouri, and of course up in Nebraska. Did you think about Oklahoma and Texas, the floods that they've had and are occurring, and then what the multitudes of tornadoes they had in Oklahoma. 
I mean, as many as 40 to 50 in a day were cited in, in a couple, three states. And then Ohio got hit just a few days ago with a tornado. You know, man, you go, uh, this has got to be the end. <laughs> but, uh, and it's good to look at that scripturally. Um, of course, you think of Arkansas. Have you seen the pictures of that? It un, um, unprecedented record levels of flooding there that they've never experienced. What do we make of these catastrophes? You know, I'm in awe. And the first thing I think is, I think, boy, God is really awesome. He's powerful. With that storm that came through last night and with everything's going on, it seems like it kind of mounts and you kind of get, you know, even though they had no tornado warnings, they had severe thunderstorm. And boy, when that thing hit, it was like, it sounded like that tornado that I'd heard a week ago. You know, it was the wind was blowing hard and probably not everybody even experienced that where you were at, where we did. It, it sure did. It came on fast and furious and... Uh, it, it was like, wow, is the roof going to blow off? But, you know, it, it kind of changes your thinking a little bit. And you, But you know what? You don't become... You, you become fear, fearing in a way for, okay, what do I do? How do I prepare for this? And, and fearing, you know, things that are stronger and mightier than you are, but it's, it's a proper fear. You know, that's, that's the kind of thought... Uh, are they wake-up calls? I think we can always take anything on a day-to-day basis as a wake-up call. Christians, we tend to sleep sometimes. We forget that there are a lot of other things that are going on that is outside our little world that we live in. And, you know, I don't eliminate that idea about the wake-up call because I think that's always good. It keeps it practical. But we have to be really careful in our conclusions. And I start with myself because I could overreact in all these things that are going on because it the record numbers that have happened in my lifetime, if you take it back 100 years ago, they didn't have records of these things. Or if, if, you, if they did, we have to really dig to find them, don't we? But who knows how many of these kind of things have happened before? Or happen in the world quite frequently, you know. So, I think what it is is disasters have always been here because of sin. That is the ultimate reason why there are disasters. We can learn from Jesus in our text today, because he was asked about a disaster, and he then explained what those are really are to be the the way that they should be viewed. And so that's the way that we open up the uh, new chapter of Luke, chapter 13. Why don't we um, we stand and and read this? Jesus kind of helping us with the ideas of tragedy. Isn't it amazing? You read the Bible and you go, wow, this is really relevant to us today, isn't it? So what do you say, Jesus? Jesus. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus said to them, 
do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he began telling this parable, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. Father, thank You for Your Word as we proceed into this now. May we be blessed by the very words of Jesus and how we are to view the catastrophes and tragedies that happen in our world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright. That's what I say about that tower, you know, falling down. And of course, that one was a good one for Christians to use back at 911. Hit the two towers, right? <laughs> and so here we go. It's like, what about that? A lot of people got killed there, didn't they? And we keep in reverence to that. You know, I'm not making light of that at all. But I say, okay, what does Jesus say about this? Okay, the first one is there, there's a political tragedy at the temple. The, the political people are against people who are religious, who are going to temple to worship. So uh, what we do as we look at this, on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans. Okay, uh, what's context? All we have to do is back up a couple of verses. And, and you know what the context was there? It's about judgment. Do you remember that? That's what we were uh, dealing with last week. It says, 58, For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make an effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge. And the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid the very last cent. So he takes an analogy there and applies it to what really happens spiritually. If one is not ready to appear before the judge, God, then if, if, if it's time to go to the judge and you haven't settled out of court, what will happen? Well, you will get the hardest of judgments forever. He'll be paying your, for your sins is really what it amounts to. The, the spiritual sins. If the Lord hasn't taken care of your sin now, one day it'll be too late because if you stand before Him without the intercession of Christ, it's too late. It's done. And you'll spend your life in an eternal way paying for your sins in hell. Now that's the idea. That's Jesus speaking pretty... Uh, Pretty tough stuff, isn't it? 
Well, chapter 13 continues this thought on. And with that background, it should help us now. The subject is judgment. Jesus said, look, you better settle your case with God before you ever get to the judgment seat. Judgment is a theme. And they're saying, what about those Galileans whose blood Pilate has mingled with the sacrifices? All the, you know, the animal sacrifice blood and the Galileans' blood. So, here's the issue. That's what they're saying. You know what they're saying is, you're talking about judgment. But there's only judgment on certain people. Not us. Look at us. We're okay because we weren't in that. It was those Galileans that were bad. Do you see what they're really saying when they ask Jesus this? There's a lot of people really against Jesus now. And they just keep coming up with one question after another. I dealt with a, a young man this week. Kept showing him why Scripture is true and why Christ is true and why He's the only way. And But, but, he had an answer for every question that I would ask him or tell him. You guys experience some of that, right? You know, it's just like they're ready. Bing, bing, bing. And um, it's like, wow, uh, you've thought about this. But, the, you know, if they don't think about it and trust Christ and repent, what does that mean? Well, when it's time to stand before the judge, it's too late. So the Galileans that were bad happened to be amongst those people. We don't know the details so much on this, um, but apparently Pilate had sent out troops to go collect up some of those Galileans that were in the temple and they were sacrificing there. Evidently, they thought they pretty well knew who those guys were. They must have made some kind of a disturbance or something that the Roman soldiers and and Pilate didn't like. Roman soldiers did not have any respect for the Jewish religion as the sacrifices were being made there at the temple and they, they slaughtered them. The blood flows together with the animal sacrifices. In Jewish circles, that's a serious thing. It's kept in people's minds. The Romans killed Jewish people in their own temple. Don't you know that that was in the Jerusalem Gazette? Front page news. Well, I'll tell you what. It's a significant event. And can you imagine somebody coming into a church, shooting up people while they're worshiping God? We've heard of that, haven't we? Same kind of stuff. And we feel for those people, don't we? We feel for that, that church. That's the spiritual point that, uh, that is coming out here, but Jesus is using that current event that they just talked about. Everybody knows about it. And of course, they're thinking, hey, only the bad people got judged there. That's Jewish thought. If, if you're bad, yeah, well, you deserve to be judged. Well, uh, quite a point, I guess, that Jesus has to stress here. And, of course, later on, just a, a few verses here, He's going to bring up the tragedy of 
happened in recent history about the tower coming down and killing 18 people. What about this Pilate? Well, Pilate uh, makes his residence and where he rules from is Caesarea, but Jerusalem is in his area, territory. Usually he would come down there on particular feasts and festivals like the Passover. That's probably at this time, it doesn't say that, but that's when the people, because there are so many people in town, they all have a hand in doing that sacrifice of the lambs. And you have blood flowing from the temple. I mean, it's like a flood of blood. And so it would not be unusual for a Passover for a Pilate and many soldiers, military, to be on guard at that time. Huge crowds. You know, it could be as many as a million to two million people. So, there's an execution. It's a mass execution. We hear of executions that Muslims do to Christians. It makes us upset. It should well, this is a mass execution from the enemy, the Romans, who are over the people. It's a sacred place in the temple. The temple is the only place where you can have sacrifices. So that's where this is at as it takes place. Does it give us much detail? But if you read that and you look at the culture and, of course, other scripture, this is more than likely the Passover at the temple at the sacrifice. A surprise attack by Pilate's men slaughters who knows how many. Everybody knew about it. They must have been evil people that got killed. That's what the other Jewish people are thinking about. Whether they be Galileans or whether they be Judeans. So, were these Galileans worse sinners than others? Jesus asked that. Did their sin cause this judgment on them? Jewish theology. We get into thinking of the Jewish person and uh, they would say that those people would be deserving of God's judgment. God brought that judgment. They deserved it. So here it is. Uh, If you were spared in that tragedy, you were there. You were just outside the temple at that time. You had just been in there. So therefore... I escaped. I'm good. They were pleasing to God. That's what they thought. That's their theology. They are as good as Job's comforters. Remember Job and the people that gave him counsel? Jesus is correcting this whole mistaken view because He's saying everybody sinners and they deserve judgment. That's really what he's saying. Go back to Job 4.7 and look at that theology that people had then. People have this kind of theology today too. Yeah, exactly. Eliphaz gives Job some wisdom. (laughs) Remember now, Whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? So he's saying, if you're really a true believer, you don't have to go through any bad stuff. Catastrophes, any kind of judgment. 
<laughs> knowing the, the book of Job, you go, wow, did he ever have it wrong? If you look at chapter 8, verse 20, but this is the thinking of Jewish people, people today. Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will He support the evildoers. Well, there is a sense that that is true. But what is Bildad here saying to him? He said, there must be something, Job, that is wrong about you. But chapter 22, verse 4. Is it because of your reverence that He reproves you? That He enters into judgment against you? God judged you. Is it because you're innocent? Is it because you were reverent? No, Job, it's because you've done something bad. God judging you. 36.6 He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives justice to the afflicted. Well, sometimes the wicked do continue. And they'll even prosper. Anyway, that's the thought. Look in John 9, verse 2, and here's the theology of the time of Jesus. Job goes way back. Here's the blind man that was born blind from birth. Disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? And he said, they're disciples. And there's their theology. There must be some kind of sin. Was it him or was it the parents? Jesus answered, it was neither. That this man sinned, nor his parents. Now we know that they're sinners, right? But that's not the reason this man is born blind. Here it is. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. That is mind-blowing to the disciples there. Modern theology is bad things happen to only bad people. You don't have enough faith. That's the reason bad things happen to you. Boy, have you ever read Scripture? It's all over that that's not true at all. Sounds like it's right. Wouldn't it be great? You become a Christian and you have never have anything bad ever come against you again. That's errant theology. I would like to think, wouldn't that be great? I like that personally, but that's not the way it's designed. Why do bad things happen to good people? There was a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish man who was by the name of Harold Kushner, He wrote a book about that question and he's very erroneous about the character of God. Here's why. He says, God is good and He does not want bad things to happen to good people, but He's not all-powerful and He's not able to handle the workload. Besides, the pay's not quite good enough. God's overworked And so bad things will continue to happen to good people. This is the view of Harold Kushner. That's not a biblical view at all. Jesus' response here gives us the view that God has. 
Jesus responds by exposing their thinking and their error here. They had come to a false conclusion. These, their conclusion is these Galileans were great sinners and that is why this happened. That's their conclusion. It's based on a faulty premise. One suffering in life is indicative of one's sin. Your suffering is going on because of some kind of sin. Now, that can be on occasion. God can use that kind of thing to wake us up. And He does do that. But to make it a mass blanket over everything is absolutely faulty. And so you can take the other thought. Your prosperity is because of your piety. Because you are religious. And if you are really a Christian, you should be rich. You should have money and helicopters and castles to live in, your own private plane. We've seen some of those men make those claims and we've seen what's happened to them, haven't we? If that be the case, woe is us because we're not faithful. We don't have faith in God. That is faulty and it's error. Jesus rejects the conclusion and its premise as false. He changes the focus here. And he says, do you suppose these Galileans were greater sinners than all the Galileans? And you were blessed and and they weren't, so therefore, that's the reason you didn't get judged. And he says, no. (laughs) I mean, it's emphatic here. You know, he's saying, no. I tell you, no, in verse 3. But we get to the point where he's getting at. It should be perceived as a warning to all sinners, shouldn't it? Namely, themselves and everybody that if they don't repent, judgment awaits. So that's where Jesus gets to. So what He does now, and we'll come to that in a moment, let's go on to the next tragedy, and it's the tower that falls, and 18 people are killed. We don't have any of the other details on this either, but it is a fact that happened. It's at Siloam, and it's an area of Jerusalem where the eastern wall and the southern wall meet. And that would be that area. It's uh, the lower city there. It's uh, There's a pool there. If you remember in John 9, which is where we were at, uh, he told the blind man to what? To go you know, to that pool of Siloam. Or... Pilate built aqueducts in his areas. Of course, you look at Caesarea, and you can see the... Uh, aqueducts that he built. Well, he built one in, like in Jerusalem. It was um, probably, it, it could be that there was a tower there that was perhaps part of the construction there, you know, and, and of course the scaffolding for the aqueduct, and maybe it was there, and people walked there, and something caused it, or whatever, it, it fell, and people were just, they were just minding their own business. They just happened to be walking along. Must have been a, a tower of significance to kill 18 people. So, what's the Jewish thinking there? They didn't ask, they didn't bring up this example. He did. What's the Jewish thinking? Those people did something bad. Did something bad. They're sinful people. Us, we stood by 20 feet away and watched that happen. 
We must be better than them. That's, that's their thinking. That's, that's the whole idea. So in the first case, there were worshipers that we just described doing what the Old Testament tells them to do. Passover, sacrifice. Were they supposed to be doing that? Yes. So they're doing that. They're obedient in that sense. They're doing righteous deeds. It's what was to be done. That was the first case. Well, the second case here is just innocent bystanders. They weren't there and then they weren't. They were just taken out that quickly. Just walking down the way and it crushes them. That's, that's a thought. That's what they know. That's, the news had definitely gotten to everybody there. And so Jesus says, No, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He says the same thing again. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, it doesn't mean that you're better or there are worse sinners. Did you know that calamity happens to anybody? Calamity happens to Christians. Calamity happens to unbelievers. That's just fact, isn't it? That's what happens. Uh... Would God be just in doing that? In taking Christians out too? Yeah. God is just to judge sinners. And we are worthy of that kind of judgment. But the great thing about it is for Christians, we get to be with the Lord. But the whole thing is God is merciful. He extends grace to us. He he extends common grace to the sinners. Right? Everybody falls under calamity. Those kind of things. So when something happens like this, then the question arises, why is this happening? Better question is, why isn't it happening all the time? You know, it's very unusual for a calamity to happen in Jeff City. It's unusual for a tornado to hit Jeff City. As far as I know from what I've heard on the, on the reports, this is the first time ever Jeff City has had a tornado like that. No, we had more than 90s. I'm talking about like what oh, it like went into yeah. Jeff City. Now, our house out in Taos got uh, some roof damage back, in, uh, back then. Yeah. Yeah. I, was say, we, I do believe we had a tornado in the 1800s, too. And those can be true. You know, I, I remember a wall cloud that was, yeah. that was coming this way and it veered, but. You know, but like what we had, we've not had anything like no, that in our lifetime. And, and from what I've understood, uh, Jeff City was not going to have anything like that happen because of the hills and the cliffs and the river. You know, we've always heard that, and that usually is is the case. You know, they they like flatland, like Oklahoma and Texas and you know Kansas. You know, and, and Missouri has its you know Joplin. You know, that's flat there too. But, you know, you, you, you kind of get a mindset that it's not going to happen. In the back of your mind, you're saying, but it could. Yeah. <laughs> now we know. But, you know, what's the question? Why doesn't this happen more often? Well, God is patient. 
God is kind. God is gracious. God is merciful. You know what is normal? We just live out in our life. There's not a lot of really terrible things that happen to us, the city. Have, have you noticed how, I guess you could say, blessed we are? God is very gracious. But you know in the Old Testament, the ground opened up, swallowed somebody. Do you remember that? Or the bear uh, out of the woods tears up young men because they were saying, Baldy, go up, Baldy. You. Yeah. Yeah, he was the prophet. And I'm going, <laughs> go up, Baldy. And what did God do with those young men? Uh, well, uh, He judged them. But the question you know, is, well, why would God do that? That's not the question. The question is, is, why does God even let people live? Why are we even allowed to exist on His planet that He made and we're sinful? That thought is saying, I don't deserve this. I've asked people sometimes, and, and I say, how are you doing? And they'll say, Better than I deserve. And I go, you know, you're right. That's good. It's coming from a Christian, of course. But um, why does God allow the sinner to keep on living? Well, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's a positive thing. God is patient. God is gracious. And that's the point. That's the point in all this. It's amazing that He just didn't wipe out the whole human race. Unless you repent, you will perish also. There's a more fundamental issue here. Mortality, death, it's evidence of the presence of sin, isn't it? And only repentance can change death from a tragic end into a bridge of new kind of life. God can take a tragedy and make it good, can He? All things work together for good. Tell you what, in this in this town, I've seen church groups, uh, the the Billy Grant Franklin Graham group, um, have been here. I saw their trucks, their buses, a Samaritan's Purse, and and uh, other groups out of Kansas City and just from churches all around here that were helping with the the trees, you know, just being taken down. They brought their chainsaws. They did all of that. It's quite a you know a neat thing to see. It's really good to to see that kind of thing, and um, you know you, you think about that. It turns into good things, doesn't it? God uses it for good ultimately. Who knows how many people will turn to the Lord because of that? As they saw the actions of people they didn't even know that helped them out. Um, the issue is not how you die or when you die or you know what you die from. But he's saying, you know, this calamity here, real calamity is that you die without repentance. That's the calamity. Because you know the whole point is? Everybody dies. So because there are many lives taken, people think, oh, you know, what what's going on? Why is this happening? People are going to die. And we're not to be insensitive about that. But the lesson, Jesus saying you're going to die, you better be ready because you're not in control of when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. That's what he's saying, you know, and that's what's important. Um, you likewise will perish if you're unbelievers. Uh, apalumi means to be lost, destroyed, uh, to be killed. In this sense, uh, eternal judgment on them. Um, 
Repentance begins with knowing our own sin. That's what it starts with. If you hear a message and you say, oh, that's for so-and-so. That's for so-and-so. No, that message is for me. It's for me. Because we're guilty as those other guys that say, what's those Galileans? You know, you know, and we're thinking, boy, I hope they hear this. No, it's, I need to hear this. I need this. Repentance is knowing our own sin. And, you know, we don't want to face up with the reality of particular sin. The thing is, the Lord is knocking at your heart. And He says, look at that sin in your own eyes and say, that's my sin. It's not someone else's sin. Lord, help me take care of this. Repentance means acknowledging Jesus is Lord, having full faith in Christ, and He grants repentance to you. And repentance means a life of repentance. It's ongoing. It's not just once at salvation, is it? So far, Jesus has been laying down the principle that everyone lives on borrowed time. As long as we live, we've been living on God's time. He continues to give us breath, water to drink, food to eat, all the necessities and all the other things. He's such a good God, isn't He? And that's why we want um, fruitfulness. And this is how we close with this little parable. Say, how does this parable stick with this kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about and repentance every bit of it Jesus laid down the principle that everyone lives on borrowed time it's by God's mercy and his common grace that people live as long as they do Um, and he's saying you must repent what was Jesus message repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand you know here's what he wants he wants us to constantly bear fruit a fig tree, and I read it earlier, a fig tree was a kind of a picture of Israel. They had fig trees all over the place. It was something that was important to them. It was a you know it was to be a, a fruit bearing tree that they needed. They were common in Israel and, and so he uses something very common and it actually represents the nation of Israel. He's been talking about those individuals. Now he says Israel is like a fig tree. And eventually, they're going to be judged. They've been given a lot of opportunity and chances. Three years? It hadn't borne any fruit. You ever had a tree that just didn't have any fruit that it's supposed to? After a while, you what do you do? It's supposed to bear fruit. It's not doing it. You get rid of it, right? God is concerned with one thing. And this is where it gets to us. He wants us to have fruitful lives. The Lord of the vineyard requires fruit. And He came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. Luke 13.6 We have a purpose for living, don't we? What is our purpose? It's to bear fruit. The Lord of the vineyard. What does Ephesians 2.10 say? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're right at the end here. God is a God of patience, mercy, and grace. The man said, give me one more year and I'll fertilize it, right? And then he says, okay. But then we'll have to cut it down if it doesn't do it then. How long has God been patient with the unbeliever? Of course, with the believer, He is constantly patient, but He's also teaching us. There's a, there's a day of reckoning that will happen. 
If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. It's a parable. There was a path of unfruitfulness for the nation of Israel, for the individuals. There's unfruitfulness of unbelievers' lives. Even Christians sometimes do not show fruit. That's why it's a, it's a warning to us. We don't want to be a tragedy, do we? We want to bear fruit. The Lord is not slow about His promise. He will come. We have a call from God. And it's constant repentance and then bearing fruit. And if that repentance is real, He will grow fruit. He's the living. He's the true God. He is the vine. We are the branches. What a great God He is. We're going to take a few minutes here in a moment and pray for our president as many churches throughout you might have seen might have gotten an email from people that I think uh, Franklin Graham is the one that was voicing this along with many others now and so we'll do that I'll, uh, matter of fact why don't we just go ahead and do that right now we'll just take we'll take a few minutes and and I, I will start it off